a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Jesus does not lie. And he told me, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He told me, this is my blood shed for you. He told me, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And I've heard the Lord's voice in the absolution, forgiven me. He's, he's told me that he, uh, that he loves the world, that he died for the world, that he shed his blood to save me and forgive me. He said it, and he doesn't lie. Those sins, which we're supposed to be conquering, have been conquered, not by our striving to overcome them, but they've been conquered by the death of Jesus. Those sins, even those pet sins that we're supposed to overcome, even the the sins that we keep coming back to, those have been crucified with Christ. Uh, and now uh, sanctification is is putting to death the old the old Adam, the old flesh, by confessing our sins. I wasn't paying attention to what you just said. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading Facebook statuses. Welcome to this edition of Table Talk Radio, talking with Pastor Whoa. Brian Mueller. Hey, ready for another show? Yes. We are taking um, the world by storm because today, a little later in the show, we're going to have our second feature of Play Table Talk Radio Games at Home with our invitation for our listeners to come on the show and play a game right here. And uh, so far, it's been a big hit. Meaning, uh, yeah, we've had two of our seven listeners. Uh, I don't know the percentage exactly. I guess that's see. <laughs> slightly more than twenty-five percent. <laughs> anyway, two sevenths of our listeners. Pretty darn good. And so, so pretty. I mean, five more episodes, and we'll be through, and we'll have to start going back again. Yeah, we will. Getting repeat guests on the show, and we'll do that. But if you want to play, you can give us a call one eight hundred three eight five SOLA one eight hundred three eight five seven six five two. This, like every other time we have a guest on the show, is Evan trying out new co-hosts. That was a secret. <laughs> we're taking when the, applications. When, the, uh, when that soundboard didn't work. Remember that one time when you recorded, and I wasn't even on the show, and you dubbed in my voice a couple of times? Uh, yeah. Just here playing Xbox or something. What did you... Guitar Hero? Yeah, remember I, re- I remember that. <laughs> and then also... You were interviewing someone, and you said, you there, Pastor Wolf Mueller? And then you dubbed in an answer from me? Yeah, you're like, uh, just oh, playing man. Rock Band or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the other time we did, a, we did a promo, and I got a clip of you saying, yeah, that's right. And so <laughs> I would say things like, hey, guys, uh, I'm the main talent. And you'd be like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So the Wolfmuller soundboard as the co-host idea. Who knows if this is even me, or this could be just Evan pressing buttons and making me say things. <laughs> I think people you know. know. When you start complimenting me, it's a dead giveaway. <laughs> that it's a, your hair looks great today. <laughs> it's Wolfmuller soundboard. Anyway, I got a buzzword for you. Okay. And then we're going to do email before we play Bible Beat with a guest. So Kay. my buzz phrase for you is particulas exclusivas. That's Latin which means exclusive participles. Now, I'll read you a little line from the Formula of Concord. Remember Formula of Concord? Yes. Article 3, and it says this, Therefore, in this article, he, that is St. Paul, zealously and earnestly urges the use of exclusive terms, particulas exclusivas, that is, words that exclude people's works from justification, apart from the works of the law, Romans 3.28, apart from works... 
Romans 4, 6, by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, etc. So now this was a big debate. Uh, it started because Luther was translating the New Testament from Latin or from Greek uh, into into German, and he added the word alone to that. I think that was the text, Romans 3, 28. And the, the Catholics went nuts and said, hey, the word alone isn't there. Luther says you, you, the only way to get it into German is to put it in there. You have to understand translation, etc. And so he has a huge defense of the exclusive participles in his, uh, it was something like an open letter on translating, where he argues for this. And this became one of the marks of the Lutheran theology, is the highlighting of the alones. In fact, it becomes the what we now call the three solas of the Reformation, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. Nobody, nobody minds if you talk about grace or faith or scripture. But when you start to talk about grace alone or faith alone or scripture alone, these exclusive participles, then people get really worked up. Nice. So exclusive participles. Particulas exclusivas. Now, do I have to say it in Latin? Yeah, with that accent. In Latin with a Spanish accent. Do I have to be that annoying about it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, My... Theological buzz phrase for you is uh, sacramental presence, and uh, this is the idea that God is present, but he's not just present. (laughs) He's present in a particular place, in a particular way, for a particular thing, and those particulars are um, for the forgiveness of sins as attached to the things that he's promised himself to. So an example of this would be like in the sacrament of the altar, also known as Holy Communion. Uh, the Lord has promised the forgiveness of sins um, to the elements of bread and wine because his, um, his presence. Uh, Christ said, this is my body, this is my blood. Now that's an objective promise. Now uh, one who receives that uh, bread and wine is receiving the real presence of, of body and blood whether they believe it or not, because the uh, presence of the Lord does not depend upon our faith. The presence of the Lord depends upon the Word of God. So um, if, I, if I had in my hand a, uh, uh, an oxycodone tablet and uh, you, needed, um, you needed a piece of candy, I said, here's a piece of candy. Whether you believed it was candy or not, it would still be oxycodone. However, um, just because you objectively receive the very uh, body and blood of Christ, um, the question still remains, does one receive that for his good or to his harm? And that is the question of whether one believes the promise that is bestowed or does one disbelieve the promise. Now, uh, I, I wanted to bring out this phrase, sacramental presence, to distinguish it from yes. omnipresence. Oh, yeah, okay. You, you remember the omnipresence is that God... Uh, in uh, one of the attributes of God, that he is present everywhere. And the difference is that there is no promise of God's mercy and grace in his omnipresence. Uh, there's no conference of the forgiveness of sins. So this kind of takes away the idea that says, um, well, uh, just be, uh, why would I bother myself at church if I could go experience God on the top of Mount Everest? You know, um, Yeah. True? God is present you, that at the might, top. That actually might be true. The closer you get to the top, the closer you are to meeting him. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, or if you're not very good at you know climbing down mountains, you might be <laughs> closer to. <it. laughs> but um, just because God is present at the top of Mount Everest, as He is everywhere, um, doesn't mean that He's uh, bestowing His presence in a particular uh, place for a particular reason, namely the forgiveness of sins.
Got it. Okay. So now we're going to go look some emails. I think, uh, Pastor Wolfman, you have an email that's ready there for I us. I do. This is great. I don't know who this is from. It just says, hi, pastors. Uh, there's this cereal, though it seems to me they forget the make bread of it part. Of course, they probably wouldn't sell too much if they included the instructions on how to cook it. And then there's a picture. It says Ezekiel 4.9. I've, I think I've seen this in the grocery store. Uh, golden flax, it says, as described in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and then it has on the front of the cereal this quote. Now, it has blueberries in the picture, which looks pretty nice. Mm. Do you know one time I saw on TV a special about how they make, how they take pictures of food, and when they have, like, cereal pictures, they actually don't have, uh, <laughs> they don't use milk. They use Elmer's glue. Mandy was just telling me about that, that when Weird. when you make, like, yeah, I forgot what, what she was bringing up, but, yeah, I heard the same thing. So it has on the front of the cereal box, it has this verse. Uh, Take also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and spelt and put them in one vessel and make bread of it. Our, our, uh, our emailer says, but they didn't tell they, they left out the part that says how to uh, <laughs> how to bake it. And it says uh, <laughs> and it says here, I'm just going to read. I'm, I pulled up Ezekiel uh, 4 and 9 here. During the numbers of days that you lie on your side, 390 days you shall eat it. And your food which you'll eat will be by weight, 20 shekels a day, and you will eat it. You shall drink water, etc. And you shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight, in the sight of the people in exile. So you're supposed to take this and you're supposed to make bread out of it, cooking it over human waste. So as you you go to the store and see this big sign posted, you know, Ezekiel 4.9, um, it tells you the ingredients based upon Ezekiel four nine, but it doesn't tell you how you're supposed to cook it. Yeah, if you see, if you Table Talk Radio, this is free advice. If you ever see Ezekiel four twelve bread, run stay away, run. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got another email here. This is a, has this it says this article would be good for Ten Commandments in the news. Ready for this? Yeah, babies with genes from three people could be ethical. Panel says. Okay. Would it be ethical for scientists to try to create babies that have genetic material from three different people? Oh, I know an what influ- this is. Okay. An influential panel of experts has concluded the answer could be yes. The 12-member panel, assembled by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, released a 164-page report. That's a lot of pages. Wednesday, outlining a plan for how scientists could ethically pursue the controversial research. Oh, my goodness. I love this. So, so somewhere... Um, along the, I don't know, the history of humanity, people have said, hey, we better have a uh, a board, an ethics board, to help us understand when things are unethical. And why, I mean, why would such a place need an ethics board? Because they're saying that we need someone to protect us from ourselves. Because if we're in control of our own decisions of what's ethical, we might go too far. So what we'll do is we get a group of people, and this group of people will tell us what is ethical and what is unethical. Now, what happens when the people who serve on that board are they themselves unethical? <laughs> you get people saying, hey, here's a good idea. Let's make, let's make babies using genes from three different people. Hmm. What a good idea. Uh, it, it, this is, I mean, this is... Uh, what this guy says, um, Sauer, so this dude, uh, says, I think this is a step in the right direction, Ugh. says Mark Sauer, professor of obst- 
uh, how do you say that word? Obstre- obstetrics? Yeah, that's right. In gynecology at Columbia University, who's a member of one of the teams, a set of the National Academies report in an interview before the FDA issued its statement. Sauer called the report more of a yellow light than a green light because of the long list of caveats and cautions, I'd say. <laughs> but that's better than a red light, he says. Most importantly to us is that it allows the work to continue to hopefully produce children without these disorders. So anyway, that's Okay, I, I have a word about these disorders. After this break, we'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Love and marriage, love and marriage Go together like a horse and carriage This I tell you, brother You can't have one without the other Part-time hosts, full-time nonsense You're listening to Table Talk Radio Her parents never took the young girl to church Never spoke of his name, never read her his word. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, so before the break, you were talking about this idea, this wonderful idea, that was approved by an ethics board because, I mean, <laughs> if you have an ethics board and, and the ethics board says, hey, uh, making babies out of three sets of genes, good idea, you got to wonder why you have a board at that point. I mean, what, I want to see the list of decisions the that ethics board said, no, don't do that. <laughs> I right. want to see that That's list. Right. Hey, you can make babies with uh, genetic material from three people, but when you get to four people, no way. You've crossed <laughs> yeah. the line, yeah. buddy. Yeah. I mean, when they were forming this ethics board, we were saying they're interviewing people and say, do you know how to say yes to everything? Okay, you're on. <laughs> you're on the ethics board. In any case, um, I suspect. Now, I'm no scientist. There, there's the disclaimer at the beginning. I'm no scientist, um, but I can't help but think that having a, a baby having three genes from three sources rather than two sources would add more problems, not less problems. Here's a critic of the research. The article says. Uh, critics of the research say that uh, uh, the number of women who could benefit from the experiment is so small it's not worth crossing a line that's long been considered off-limits, making genetic changes that could be passed down for generations. Quote, the possibility of what you could call mission creep is very real, says Marcy Darvanovsky, executive director of the Center of Genetics and Society, a watchdog group based in Berkeley, California, which is probably not where I want my watchdog groups. But anyway, <laughs> quote, People are talking about going forward not just with this, but with the kind of genetic engineering that will produce outright genetically modified human beings. Once that happens, Darnowski says, I think you get into a situation of where some people are genetically enhanced and other people are the regular old variety of human being. I've seen that. And movie. I don't think that's a word a world we want to live in. I've seen that movie. Um <laughs> now <laughs> is is the uh, is the political motivation to this obvious? No. Okay. Um, no, I don't okay. think so. I mean, just except for the fact that we are, are still we still have a bunch of eugenicists running around. No, I don't think I, that's it. I'll throw my theory out, and you let me know what you think. That, okay. So the problem that exists in this world where the Supreme Court says gay is okay, and says it's fine if you're 
a man and a man. It's fine if you're a woman and a woman. You can have um, marriage and a family just like everybody else. The problem exists that, that that man and man or that woman and woman still have a reproductive problem. And uh, even if they solve that reproductive problem by some kind of a adoption or surrogacy, one of the two parents still has that lingering knowledge that this child is not truly biologically mine. And I think the political underpinning to this idea is to say that uh, so that at some point they can get along and come along and say um, that both of these parents can say my genes are in this child, even though we had to have a third party to make this come to be. Or maybe, you know, the new thing now is you've got the thruples, which you have three yeah. people married to each other. And so now you all kind of pile up everything in a test tube and make a thruple baby. You know, it's really frustrating when your political views don't match with nature. There is a problem. I mean, but see, look, at this is the I was looking for this G.K. Chesterton quote about technology because I heard it one time reading, listening to an audio book. But I know you hate that. Then you can't go back and like underline it. But he said, if GK, it's almost a throwaway quote where G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton says, people look back on our culture, our society, and say, why were they so addicted to technology? In other words, the, the, we live in a time that's marked by a technological addiction. And th- this has caused all sorts of problems because we, we think that if it advances technology or, or that it's good or even that if, you, if technology can do it, it should do it. And so we're having these technological advances, and we're using technology to replace all sorts of human things. And this is one of them. And it's not it's not good. Not good. Okay, so we're probably playing Ten Commandments of the News. Um, so here, oh, yeah. uh, I would say that here's a First Commandment issue in this. And I'm going to actually explain why it's a First Commandment issue rather than the typical it's always a First Commandment issue. That is to say that we were made in the image of God. And uh, what we're hoping to do is to take the place of God and create uh, create human life uh, rather than in God's image than in our image. Um, so that we can say, I mean, we, I mean, what, what you just said is to some extent or another um, an attempt to say, I have created life. I mean, I, I have come to the scientific capability of creating life and so that's a goal to achieve um you buy that yeah i buy it okay and it's i mean and that's stunning and frightful yes but i buy it so i I suppose if it's a first commandment issue it's also a second commandment issue uh okay obviously talking about life it's going to be the fifth commandment Uh, talking about how this relates to life and and marriage is going to be the sixth commandment. Isn't it fascinating that those two commandments are next to each other? That uh, the gift of uh, of marriage is the the gift of life, and vice versa. Um, and then let's see. Um, an ethics board would be a fourth commandment issue. That is uh, some kind of a authority figure th- uh, <laughs> as as a. Um, what uh, fake as it may be, uh, it's still there and, and trying to be an authority figure saying, hey, this is unethical. <laughs> or, I mean, this, this, is the, this is the thing that ethics boards have become, that they used to be, hey, we want you to stop us from doing something that's wrong. Now the ethics board is, hey, we want you to affirm that what we're doing is right. <laughs> right, that's right. It's the illusion of accountability. Hey, the ethics board said we could do it. Oh, the ethics board? Oh. <laughs> 
but you, the, your question is a good one. When's the at last time the ethics board said you shouldn't do something? <laughs> um, I think that's all the commandments I got. What, do, what else do you have? The fourth that? commandment also f- falls in here because of parenthood. You know, honor your father and your mother. Yeah. And so, um, but you, this, how how would you how would you have this commandment if you were with this kid? Honor your father and your father and your mother. Hmm. You know, honor your father and your mother and your mother. Honor your mother and your mother and your mother. Hey, this is a Sheesh. this is a random question for you. Okay. Um, would you speak to the uh, order of the commandments? Because if I was in charge of ordering the commandments, I would order it probably. So you'd have one through three, the the ones that deal with our relationship to God, and then I would probably have uh, the the next most important thing in dealing with our relationship to fellow man is the issue of life. Mm-hmm. I'd have fifth commandment, and then from that would probably be the sixth commandment because the sixth commandment brings about life. And then probably the fourth commandment, uh, once you have life, then you have parents. Yeah, um, that's right. So it's uh, so the reason you have the fourth commandment, <clears throat> excuse me, before you have the fifth commandment is the same reason that you you paint the nursery blue before <laughs> the baby comes home. In other words, you're establishing a context in which life can actually thrive, you see. So the fourth commandment is is it it is the institution of both the estate of the family and the estate of the state, which are related estates. A related order in God's world, and they're both there for the protection of life. So it's almost like it, I, su- I suppose another example is how the Lord planted a garden before He put Adam and Eve in it. So that so the fourth commandment becomes the context for life to actually come into and exist. Got it. I got uh, another email. You ready? Ready. Sarah from Montana says, "Hello, pastors. I've got two entirely separate bumper sticker submissions for you guys. Number one." Eve was framed. <laughs> and number two, dog is my co-pilot. This one was sharing vehicle space with one of those stickers where it's a little group of sea turtles, if that tells you anything in true mediocre fashion. I can't for the life of me remember what kind of cars these were inhabiting. So I'm giving you what I got. Have fun or something. Sarah from Montana. Thanks, Sarah, or something. Uh, so Eve was framed. Um, is this one actually trying to say something or is it just being funny? I, well, no, it's trying to say something. This is the, um, you know, there's a long theological tradition of considering Eve to be a hero. You know about this? No. So uh, I remember talking to um, to a to a Jewish woman rabbi, and she was talking about how in in her tradition, you know, that's how these things always go. In my tradition, uh, Eve is considered a hero because Eve was there willing to take the risk to try to attain God-likeness. And I said to her, what do you mean take the risk to attain? She was already like God when she was created. It was the devil's lie. Uh, and she said something like, oh, well, that's how some people read the Bible. <laughs> you know, one of those really super dismissive you know, that, kind of... You know, the, the kind of people who read words and sentences <laughs> and understand communi- written communication. <laughs> that's how some people read it. Yeah, the- I, however... <laughs> Can move beyond the words and and <laughs> read right. the real meaning. <laughs> Eve was a hero, and this is this is. I think you'd be surprised if we just went around asking any sort of feminist theology is going to understand Eve as a hero, and the fall as in fact not a fall, but the first act of liberation. Uh, so uh, th- uh, this idea, Eve was framed act as of li- fit, right? liberation. It's like the guy that said, "I can't believe how liberating this." 
this prison cell is. <laughs> we you know how I love being the, on death row. I'm so recording these conversations with Dr. Schulz about the master metaphors, and mo- so these are coming out on the table scripts. So yeah, the check it next out. Next one to come out will be about Augustine and the story of the pears. And Augustine in that little story says this is like a prisoner acting like he's free. So it's 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 like um uh, you know the kids when they weren't parents but they p- played house. Uh, our sinfulness is like a prisoner uh, playing like they're a free person. You know, hey, get to, hey guys, let's pretend like we're free. You know, having a mock election and a mock society in jail, and that's how our <laughs> and that's how our sinning is. It's really quite it's, it's stunning. And that is when when Eve becomes your hero. That's the picture you're getting after. All right, we need to take a break. When we get back, Whoa. we're playing a little Bible Bee with uh, uh, our listeners. And if you want to play, give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. We'll be right back. Table Talk Radio. You won't find a better show out there unless you try. The books of the Bible, time-tested and reliable. Scripture has a power that's undeniable. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. It's time to play some Bible B. We uh, are... Uh, joined by one of our listeners, uh, David. David, uh, welcome to Table Talk Radio. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. So tell listener us a- number six. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a Lutheran school teacher at uh, Faith Lutheran High School in Las Vegas. I've been here just about uh, two years now. Before that, I served in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, uh, at a little Lutheran school there. And uh, we're enjoying the nice weather out here this time of year in Las Vegas, and that's uh, it's very good. What, tell us about uh, what preparation you have done to be on today's program. Uh, I'd say I've, I've done probably a little bit more than Dr. Wolfmuller. <laughs> um, That's which is to say, no I, I taught my classes today. <laughs> well, and also, you managed to get close to a telephone. That was also that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> David, I'd like you to list the top seventeen things that you love most about Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Um, <laughs> having a little trouble getting going. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, everybody's favorite. Uh, we all know this. Everybody's favorite is the end. So. <laughs> True. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, let's let's start our game of uh, Bible B. Um, as uh, you may know, the the game works like this: that there's three rounds. You get um, 100 points in the first round, 200 points in the second round, and then 300 points in the third round. You get three round, uh, three verses in the first round, two and one respectively, and the goal is to uh, guess what book of the Bible the verses appear in, and then also we'll have you say law and or gospel. David, sound pretty good? That sounds good. All right, let's give it first to Pastor Wolf Mueller. All right. Your round one verses are, Samaria will be cut off with her king like a stick on the surface of the water. Um, also, the high places a, of... That image doesn't make sense to me. A stick on the surface of the water. Okay, keep going. Okay. Uh, also, the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel will be destroyed. Throne and thistle will grow on their altars. They will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. 
From the days of Gibba, you have sinned, O Israel, they will stand. Will not the battle against the sons of iniquity overtake them in Gibba? Gibba, huh? Not Gilboa, but Gibba? Right. Well, Gil- Gibba is Gilboa without the low. <laughs> Gilboa puts the low in Gibba. <laughs> now, I, this sounds Old Testament-y to me, so I'm going to first say Old Testament. Now, it was a prophecy against Samaria. Remember uh, that Samaria, when after the death of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel, the united 12 tribes, was split into two kingdoms, the north and the south, Israel in the north and Judah in the south where Jerusalem was, and Rehoboam, the first king of the north, built the altars at Dan and Beersheba, or uh, Dan and Bethel, excuse me, uh, to, to distract the people with the golden calves so that they wouldn't go down to Jerusalem. Now, this northern kingdom existed uh, from the, the year of the split, which had been 930, until the year of its destruction by the Assyrians in 721. And in those 200 or so years... Uh, the capital of the north was Samaria. That's the town. And so sometimes the place is called Samaria, and in the time of Jesus, they're called Samaritans because uh, they had the capital there. Now, there's a number of prophets who prophesy the, the coming doom of Samaria, and, uh, and I can never remember that list. But I'm guessing <laughs> that this is going to be the preaching of the, in the north against Samaria. So I, I'm going to just go with, I know that the, one of the chief opponents, they say, hey, why don't you go down to Jerusalem and do your prophesying there? And he says, no, no, I'm going to stick with you guys and really uh, and really get after you. Uh, and that is the prophet Amos, who says, the Lord roars forth from Zion. So I'm going to guess, what is the book of Amos? Uh, final answer? Final answer. Oh, uh, you're looking for Hosea. Hosea oh, chapter man. 10, 7 through 9. Would that be law and or gospel? It sounded a lo- like a lot of law to me. <laughs> well, at least you got something right. Unfortunately, you don't get points unless you get the book right. So we'll move on to uh, round one for uh, David uh, with us here. And uh, David, your three verses are as follows. Um, but if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners... Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. That sounds New Testamenty. <laughs> so far, you're on par with Pastor Wolfmiller. <clears throat> That's not saying a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Hey, take it easy. Where's my Nacho Libre soundboard so I can use it again? <laughs> All right, so definitely New Testament. Uh, definitely sounds like one of Paul's epistles. Um, not expressly familiar with that. Um, I'm going to go with uh, with the book of Romans. Final answer? Sure, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You were looking for uh, uh, Galatians. This is in Galatians chapter 2. When um, when uh, Peter opposed Paul, and so uh, this is the the whole controversy about uh, whether we uh, eat in the in the presence of the Gentiles or not, whether we eat meat in the presence of the Gentiles or not, and so we that find is it, a tricky one because the by no means is one of the marks of Romans. Ah, yeah, that's true. I, it was. That did throw me Romans. off. Yeah. Okay. Well, so far it's zero to zero, but uh, David, we'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about 
law and or gospel there? All right, so it's a little bit of a mix of both there a little bit, but I'd say that's predominantly a lot of gospel, talking about how we're, we're justified by Christ, and Christ is the one who, who does justify us, not by our own works. So I'd say that's predominantly gospel. Ding, 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 got that right. Okay, now let's move on to our round, uh, round two of Bible B. Yeah, this is where I start to pull ahead. <laughs> I spotted you that first round, David, but not now. I now I'm going to buckle down. <laughs> yeah, it gets serious. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see here. Okay, here's your one verse, Pastor Wolfmuller. Uh, All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's one all verse. the kings of the nations lie in their own glory. Each in their own tomb. Man, that's quite a rhetorical flair. You see how that goes? It's saying, look, the kings have their glory, uh, but they're all dead. That's kind of like what Peter preaches on Pentecost when he says, um, uh, you, you know, David, great David, great King David. Yeah, his tomb is right down the street. <laughs> do, you, do you know, by the way, that they think that the, the most likely place for the upper room is just a stone's throw away from David's tomb? That's amazing. Now, I think um, the reason I think this is Old Testament-y is because I don't recognize it from the New Testament. Uh, So, I mean, it's just a strange, uh, unfamiliar text. The kings have their own glory, each in their own tomb. You know, I'm going to—there's a number of the prophets. Again, we're talking prophets here, Old Testament prophets. They'll have um, have these— times where they will just li- they'll just list the nations and they'll go through all of these nations and they'll say how the Lord is going to destroy them it'll just it, uh, it list their sins and get after them Amos does this again Amos I wonder if you went back to Amos to trick me uh, but the other one who has a big long prophecy of the trouble of all the nations is Isaiah so I'm going to go with Isaiah what is, who is the prophet, I know, what is the book of Isaiah? <laughs> final answer? Yeah, final answer. You got it. Yeah. Isaiah 14 <laughs> with the lucky shot. Okay. Oh, that's it. That section right there, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Isaiah 14, where it's going down all of these, like, um, I just pulled it open here. Let's see. The fall of the king of Babylon. And then it talks about... Um, the, the prophecy against Moab, prophecy against Damascus, prophecy against Ethiopia, prophecy against Egypt. That's right at the beginning of this thing. So, All right. That's well, something. Turn points, law, gospel. Um, huh, that's going to be law uh, because the Lord is going to be showing how um, he, in fact, stands over the kings of the nations. Uh, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And we are to constantly, the prophets remind us, that we're not to trust in princes but rather we're to trust in the Lord. And so here it's saying, you want to trust in the kings? Well, look, they're all in their tombs. They're surrounded by glory, and oh, by the way, they're dead. All right, so now it's time to go to our, uh, our round uh, two for, for David, and um, who faces an uphill battle. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> I have full confidence in you, David. Um, okay, here's the here is your one verse. It says, "I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, 
and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Oh man, you gave him like the longest verse in the whole in the whole Bible. <laughs> David, right. I'm, I'm curious, Dave. Do you ever play Bible V in your classroom at the at the school there? Uh, I, I haven't, but I think it'd be kind of fun. I don't know. I'm not sure if all my students would have enough Bible knowledge to make that uh, engaging enough, but I would enjoy it. So maybe I'll try it sometime. <laughs> okay. All right. So that sounds New Testamenty. Um, it sounds like one of Paul's letters, but I'm thinking it's not one of the epistles to one of the cities. It sounds more like one of the pastoral epistles. Uh, preach the word. Um, so that means it's either Timothy or Titus. I'm going to go with uh, first. Timothy. Final answer? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is he right? It's always the final answer. We'll fi- <laughs> I know. Make we'll- me second guess myself. <laughs> we'll find out if he's right right after this break. Stay tuned for more oh. Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. It's incredible how well our good looks translate to radio. We've got to preach the word to a lost and dying world. We've got to preach the word to all who haven't heard. We've got to preach the word so that they may see that Jesus Christ has paid the price and set me free. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's a verse before our listener, David, uh, who is now locked in to 1 Timothy, and we're going to see if he is right, and he is incorrect. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> you want to know what? not going well. It was uh, 2 Timothy. Oh, man. <laughs> You were in the neighborhood, I'll tell you what. (laughs) But don't worry, there's still round three. Now we got to do law and gospel on that. And this is an important important one to do law and gospel on. Um, But I want to hear David's take on law and gospel here. And then, uh, and I might have, I I got a couple ideas on this one. All right, which uh, which verse is that, Pastor Giglin? Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 4, verse 1. Yeah, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is, is to judge the living, the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. All right, so this is this is tricky, like Pastor Wilkinson said, I think, because you have a little bit of a, uh, this is a command, or at least an exhortation here, right, for Timothy to preach the word. Um, and yet, certainly, um, the word is both law and gospel. Uh, looking at the context here real quick, um, this is right after the section in 2 Timothy 3, where it talks about all scriptures, God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, etc. Um, and so um, I would generally say that uh, this would be... Uh, oh, this is tricky. This is, this is law, in a sense, to Timothy, but at the same time, it's his, it's his vocation, right? And there's some gospel kind of things going on in vocation there. So I would say that, uh, that this, this definitely has a blessing uh, kind of application to it, which makes me want to lean gospel on it, even though there are some... Uh, some some exhortations here um, in 
Paul's words to Timothy. Good thoughts. What do you think, Pastor Wolf? Yeah, that's uh, so. That's exactly right. David is wrestling around with this thing where I mean, these this verse is, um, and there's a couple of these verses of institution where the Lord is establishing the vocation of the gospel. Uh, he, he's he's instituting the giving out of the good news. So you have words like go and baptize. Well, what what is that? It, it, for the church and for those who are put in the office of baptizing, it's a command. It's an institution and it's law, but it's for the purpose of the gospel to make sure that God's gift of of grace and his promise of forgiveness is um, is spread throughout the world. Or or Jesus says, do this often in remembrance of me when he establishes the Lord's Supper, which is for, for the church and for the pastor, the institution of the office. It puts the Lord's Supper in place to be done all the time, but it's all for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of, of distributing the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And the same thing here is true. Preach the word. That, that's, um, that's law. It's establishing the office of preaching, giving uh, the, uh, the, the preacher the great boldness to stand and say, thus says the Lord from the pulpit, which is an incredible uh, sort of thing. And it's all for the sake of the gospel to make sure that the forgiveness of sins is preached. So this is um, so the text is a text of law, uh, but like David pointed out, it's all in service to the gospel. Nice. Well, let's check the scoreboard. The scoreboard is two hundred to zero. I'd like to make a correction on your reporting. There, it is four hundred to zero. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I got two hundred for the verse uh, for the text, and then and then two hundred for law gospel. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. so picky here. Okay. <laughs> all but right. But it all comes down to this <laughs> round three. Okay, here we go. I'm trying to find a word here for uh, for you here. Um, Esther. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> uh, Okay, oh here, here's one for you, Pastor Wolf Miller. All right, I'm ready. Your one word clue is. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm I'm scrolling through my my list of of one word entries. Um, do you know? By the way, did you know this that there's something like four thousand words in the New Testament, and one thousand of them are only used once. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, so I, uh, looking at my list here, I'm just validating. Yeah, one word. Uh, this appears in the Bible one time, and it is the word lifeless. 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 That sounds New Testament-y. <laughs> well, these, the prophets these... would never use a word like lifeless. <laughs> this this, uh, this one-word clues are pretty tricky, um, I'd say. Out of the 66 books of the Bible, you know, you got to... One out of 66 chance on this. Lifeless. Uh, this could be, uh, you know, the preaching of the prophets, which would talk about how, oh, you know what? This, this, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this angle with this word. At least it reminds me of this. One of, the, one of the marks of the prophetic preaching, this is especially true of Isaiah, but I think Isaiah learns it from King David, who writes a psalm about how uh, the idols are dead things. And that the, the and the biblical teaching is that we become like that which we worship. So King David will say, for example, the idols, they're made by human hands. They don't have eyes, so they're blind. They don't have mouths, they're mute. They, they're made out of wood, they can, so they're, they're lifeless in that way. And the people who worship them become like them. Now, I think the opposite theological point is also true, and that is that when we worship the true and living God, that we actually are 
we become full of life, life full. Or um, when we uh, worship the God who is holy, we ourselves become righteous. That idea about being lifeless um, uh, and the idols giving their life, kind of uh, sharing their lifelessness with the people that worship them runs throughout the preaching of the, of the apostles, but it starts with David who teaches it in the Psalms. So I'm going to say, what is the book of Psalms? Final answer? Final answer. For 300 points? And I'm oh. sorry, that's incorrect. Uh, you were looking for... 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 7, that says, huh. uh, Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Well, there you go. <laughs> I think uh, this is the general context of uh, discussion about speaking in tongues and all of that, right? That if you do not have love, you're like a, a noisy kong and a, a clinging cymbal. Yes. Uh, this kind of a context. So, uh, would that be law and or gospel? That, um, hmm, huh, hmm, hmm. Um, hmm. I don't know I, uh, what that's going to be. It, it, the general idea is that there has to be distinctions. In fact, you know what this verse probably is about is how there has to be distinctions between law and gospel. Uh, and there has to be distinctions between error and truth. Uh, and so, um, so the idea that the note one note has to be sound different from another note, else you don't know what's being spoken. Uh, one word has to sound different than, than another word, or you don't know what's being preached. This probably is less law and less gospel and more of the distinction of. I'd say that's where this text falls. <laughs> um, okay. But I'll have to think about it some more. <laughs> well, I guess what my perspective on coming in on, on this verse was, you know, Paul's addressing the... Uh, Christians in, in Corinth. I can't uh, hear Evan anymore. He oh. just sounds like static to me. You can't that hear That is a blessing to you. <laughs> it, it count, count, there, totally, there totally count your blessings on that one, <laughs> I, was, I was confused, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> that, it's proving the point. He's speaking in electronic tongues. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, the, the point that I was, the, the perspective I was coming at was that uh, Paul's writing th- this very thing in the letter to Corinth because um, they were uh, they were uh, saying that some gifts were better than others. So I am better than you because I can speak in tongues or I have the gift of prophecy and you don't. And Paul's writing saying, hey, guys, you're not so hot. You know, you're you're uh, if you if you can't do these things in love, then you're just uh, noise. And to that sense, the, the tone is law. I agree with that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, David, it's uh, now time for your one-word hint. And if you get this right, you'll get 300 points, and then you'll have the opportunity to answer law and or gospel. And if you get that right, you can come away with 500 points, beating Pastor Wolfmiller's 400. No pressure. Okay. You don't even need to try. <laughs> just, just take I'm ready. Easy. All right. So the, the one-word clue actually appears in the Bible. <laughs> Let me check. Uh, at least in the New American Standard uh, Bible, it appears three times, but all in the same book. And the one word hint is muse, M-U-S-E, muse. Whoa, muse, huh? Muse. Like to think. <clears throat> hmm. You muse, muse it over a think. little bit. Yeah, just just muse on that a little bit and let me know what you Yeah, think. yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Uh, muse. Yeah, something makes you think Old Testament. It doesn't sound like a word Paul would use in the New Testament, or one of the Gospels or anything. Muse. Um, 
Muse kind of has like a poetic uh, kind of a sense going on to it, so it makes me think something in Psalms or Song of Solomon or Ecclesiastes or something like that. I'm pregnant with that. <laughs> Muse. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say um, Song of Solomon. Final, Final answer? answer? Yeah. For 300 points? Oh, I'm sorry you're looking for uh, Psalms. <laughs> oh no, no. That was close. So there. Yeah, this is a this is you Psalm, were in the neighborhood. This is Psalm 39:3 from the ESV. It says, "My heart became hot within me. I mused, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue." Well, that's actually going to bring us to the end of the show. David, Whoa. thank you so much for playing along yeah, and David, uh, being hey, a good I think sport. I, I, I was guessing on playing along with you, and I missed all three of yours, too, so I, <laughs> uh, I even beat myself. So slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the, where the points are like the particulas exclusivas in the Roman Catholic translations of the Scripture. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Totally Table Talk missing. Radio is not for everyone. You get it? Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.